Welcome to episode 779 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Rightio, team, welcome along to episode 779 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom, Bevan James. Oh, you got your I Am Talk warm, warm jersey on? I have today. It's pretty fresh out there. Pretty fresh. It's a nice top, that one. Thank you. I don't wear mine. I oh. think it was a little bit small. Mm. I think I got the slightly wrong size. So it's a black hoodie. I Am Talk. You can get all our gear via the website, IamTalk.me, and it'll take you through to the World Triathlon Store. There you go. Uh, Jonbo, it's a bit cold this morning again. It is. And you've been out, and your wallet's a little lighter than it was this morning. Well, no, maybe not. I had a lawyer at the meeting, meeting that lawyer had to sign a piece of paper, which probably cost a thousand bucks. But it's actually because our neighbours have made a cock up and they've got to pay for it. That's right. So I don't mind. I actually took some time, spoke to the lawyer. Yeah. Because they charge him like seven minute blocks, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So they're probably, you know, I spoke for like half an hour. Yeah. Told my life story. Had a cup of coffee. Good. That went all out. I took us proudly brought to you by our patrons. I thought we were going to say profile design. Oh, we're still later on, but the oh. profile design, one of our sponsors, we've got some, some news coming in on about our patrons program later on. You, now, I'm going to give you a bit of crap here, because yeah. before I push record, I said, do we say it at the start? And you yes, said yes. S- yeah, at the start of the interview. Oh, it's yeah, <laughs> full of crap. Communication. And our patrons. Uh, patrons, you go first, John. <laughs> David Sweet Justice Sobel. We've got Connor Sensational Sanders. And Adam Crazy Legs Fox. Okay, and this week's show, we've got some news. Hot topic of the week. We've got an interview. Profile design, apparently. Yeah, brought to you by Profile Design. Uh, with Michael Baker, who is going to talk around uh, some ins and outs of getting speedy on the bike. He's a bike fitter uh, and just aero bar position. And the reason I sort of wanted to bring this up was a lot of you guys will be watching Tour de France, which is on at the moment, and you've had, they've had the first time trial. Second time trial is coming up in a few days' time, and. The setups on their, their rigs these days are quite a bit different to what we've seen. In, oh, really? Well, they're, they're, if you see it, Bevan, you probably haven't, but they're stacked really, really high. It looks dangerous. Uh, oh, wait, so they're up high in the aero position? The, the aero bar, the, the handlebars, uh, or the, the the base bar is really low, Yeah. Um, and then they've, they stack stack up so the aero bars are in the same position they always used to. It's more that oh, the base bar is a lot lower, okay. and it just it looks weird. So I, kind so of think, I, th- I kind of think like early 80s. Remember when the first area bars and they had the big loopy ones? Yeah. They're kind of low. Kind of yeah. Really low. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we've got uh, Coach's Corner. Yes, we're going to do this. And some people think that this is going to be a bit of a, oh, I know all this stuff. But in my experience, they don't. It's just around bunch riding and some basics. Because I've been doing a few bunch rides lately. And I've done a lot on camps in the past. Didn't we do people that? think they do the basics, but they don't. Did we do the ba- didn't we do this? No. Okay, good. Uh, Winger of the Week, questions and answers at the end. Jombo, just on the Tour de France, uh, your thoughts? It's good. It's a good tour, but it's a bit boring when the front guy is so so much better than everybody else. But oh, the race, really? The race for seconds, fantastic. It's kind of like an Iron Man when you've got Chrissy there or you had Alistair Brownlee in his heyday. It's like, well, they're going to win. But the race for seconds is quite and interesting. So why is he so much better? He's just, just is. He's really? just just a class above at the moment. So unbeatable pretty much. Who, who is it? Uh, Teddy Pogacar. And has it won it before? He won it last year. Okay. Yeah. So he's, he's just the man for And the he's moment. young and he's just young and just who knows how long he's going to dominate for. Do you start to think drugs? Well, everyone says that, but they say that about all the cyclists. So no, he showed what he could do last year and just looks incredibly talented. So The story is Cavendish, isn't it? Yeah, that's a, that definitely is a big story. 
there's, there's, like I don't, I, I know, you know, I'm not a big follower of the tour, but I did know that he didn't have a team. He was suffering depression. They brought him back, mm. and he's won four stages, isn't he? Mm. And he wasn't even going to be riding up until about a month ago. So no, that is very impressive. So he's got one. If only I had him on my team early in the tour. Oh, because that, that would have been a great pick, wouldn't it? And, and Thomas made that pick. Oh, so Bastard. Thomas is beating. Thomas is winning our league. Smoking oh, really? it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've got we're not much on the way of results. We did have uh, one little race. We had a 70.3 in Ecuador. That was about the only race I could see at the weekend. So it's a pretty quiet time. Uh, not much coming up this weekend. Jackson Laundry took that out in uh, 3.52. And on the female side, Sarah Crowley took out their race. And that was it for the weekend. Okay, well, other news. There's going to be changes to the Legacy Program. So for 10 years, Ironman Legacy Program has provided a pathway for Ironman Wheel Triathlete Champions, Championship Athletes, to go to the race. Uh, it was created to honour the most dedicated and loyal athletes. The Legacy Pathway has traditionally become available to an athlete after they completed 12 Ironman full-distance races. After years of the legacy program has grown in popularity and demand, and the waitlist has implemented uh, to progress, uh, was implemented to progress athletes into the Ironman World Championship. Basically, what has come up with is that it's too popular. And it is. The waitlist ends up being too long and, and people are going to have to wait forever to get in there. So they've changed it. As a result, in 2024, the legacy program qualification process will change, requiring athletes to complete full 10 full distance Ironman branded triathlon finishes and their athletes. 12, sorry. 12. I said 12, didn't I? No, you said 10. I'm oh, sorry, 12. Uh, and their athletes' participation history must spend 12 or more years. Two of the 12 full distance triathlon finishes, one each year, must occur in the most recent two years before application. The change will be implemented as of 2024 Legacy Program acceptance year. Uh, applications will open in November 2023, allowing those in the cusp of qualifying under the existing policy to do so in time. So, interesting. Very interesting. So it's it's really trying to eliminate those that really stack in, you know, three Ironmans a year. And uh, in theory, you could, you know, basically be ready for a legacy spot within four years' time. Uh, well, we could even faster. Some people probably, well, some I people, imagine probably done, people have done in two years. Six. That might might be a stretch. I'm sure there's a no, few I'm examples sure there are of that. some examples. Yeah. yeah. But there's plenty of people that would be doing three a year uh, and, and a good number, I'd say, be doing two a year. So... I can't. My feeling is, I kind of should have had this in from the outset. Is I, I my feeling is twelve is too too many. I think ten's a nice number. You say ten in ten years, and then and you're sorted. So they they're saying twelve and twelve years. So you uh, after twenty twenty four, you've got to be in this game for quite some time, well, which I think is a good thing. Well, yes and no. Um, I, I prefer not to say, and you, you play by the rules, I always say that. If you're somebody's out there at the moment doing six a year for two years, I've got no problem with that. Yep. That's what the rules state. I just think the rules were initially, in my opinion. But um, too lenient. But too lenient. And legacy implies somebody who's been trying for ages and ages and ages. And we've all got, we all know people that have been like that. And so I think, you know, 10 years of um, in the sport, I think that warrants it. 12, maybe just a couple of years too long. Well, interestingly, so. The legacy was, and I actually think we take credit for the legacy. We do. It was, I still cannot believe that it was broadcast first anywhere in the world on our podcast yeah, in Hawaii. Um, no, but also I think the idea came from us. Right. <laughs> yeah, but I really do because back in those days, you know, we, we it was something we talked about on the show for a lot and then suddenly out of nowhere it came up and they announced mm. it on this podcast. So mm. it's, it's our, our legacy is the legacy. There you go. Uh, but, but more importantly, it's, it's what do you want to reward? Mm. And... 
traditionally I think they rewarded people who invested in the sport. And I get it. And, and in some ways I kind of I didn't dislike what they'd done with the legacy originally. I get that's a problem because just too many people were getting involved with it. Mm. But not everyone can do 10 years, 12 years in the sport, you know, and for a lot of people that dream of Kona is still a big thing. And if you, you why know... Can't, like, why can't they do 10 years in sport? It's a big commitment to your life. Mm. You know, like for me, I did Ironman, I started what, 2002 through two, I did six years. Yeah. You know, I, I was lucky enough to qualify. Mm. Now I only did maybe seven, no, I did eight Ironmans I think, but I, a lot of them I did three or four challenge. Um, so um, for a lot of people, 12 years is a massive commitment. Mm. And well, that's what legacy is all about. Yeah, and I get it. But then I also like the fact that some people, you know, for me, I did six years in the sport, mm. great six years of my life. If, if mm. going to Kona was a goal and that was, you know, like it's, it's what do you want to reward? And I get it. I do get that, you know, it's rewarding people who have stayed in the game the longest. Mm. Um, but then I also think it was quite nice when people who couldn't stay in the game for a long period, because let's be honest, Ironman is a demanding sport. Mm. You no, know, and it. for a lot of people to do 12 Ironman over a 12-year period is a pretty big commitment. Could be 12 over a 20-year period. Yeah, well, so. that's a, that is the thing. Mm. Is, yeah. And I do actually like your idea of 10. I mm. think it's probably a better number. And maybe if we move forward, if they get less people in the legacy, um, yeah, I, I get it. They had to come up with a solution. Mm. Do you know what the general feel in the public is? No. Okay. No. I'm yeah. sure it, I'm sure the, the vocal people will be bitching and moaning as yeah. everybody. No, everybody's a good, like a good moan. Uh, but I think... Yeah, the only thing I would change. say, which I don't like about this, is why do you have to do two in the t- two latest yeah, years? Yeah, of course. You yeah, know, I, I don't like I, that. Yeah. Make it the latest year. Mm. You know, I get it that you want them to have done an Ironman recently, mm. but I don't know why you, you know, so of this one here, so the rule is you've got to do 12 Ironman over 12 years, but you have to do two in the last two years into the year you apply it. Make it one. And I, I haven't looked at the fine print as to whether or not you've got to keep doing Ironmans then until... Your time comes up. Well, I don't think that's the case then based on mm. this. Because remember yeah. when th- it was like that, wasn't it? You had to keep yeah. doing it keep, every keep year. Keep validating, yeah. Yeah, so maybe that's not the case so much now, but maybe just make it the latest year. But something had to happen because obviously there was a problem. Nothing significant is happening this weekend. Well, that's not true because we have got Fredino versus Sanders, thetriedbattle.com. As we record, there is five days, nine hours and 27 minutes to go until this race in Algar in Germany. So it's on Sunday at 9am their time. Obviously they're doing the Ironman distance, 3.8k swim, 180k bike, 42k run. The course they've got there is sounds firstly really scenic, secondly really fast. So swim's the swim, but then the bike is going to be on what sounds like very smooth, uh, fast, roads and with uh, minimal turns so the bike league is in the heart um, of the tri- is the heart of the tri battle royale um, they, after they've completed the swim they'll switch to their time trial bikes on the shores of the lake the first kilometers lead through the mountain town and then straight into the fast and smooth b19 it's a fully closed five lap course and it's as straight as a runway with extra wide turnarounds for maximum speeds and it's shielded from the uh, wind by the alpine terrain so they're going to hammer it through the Algar Valley and then they get off on and to do the run uh, and the run takes place on a 10.55 kilometre run course around the mountain town of Bergberg. Uh, Bergberg. Uh, as with the first two disciplines, there'll be no pacemaking except for the pain Jan and Lionel will inflict on one another uh, and it's pretty much a flat straight line run as well so fast course one of the things I've been saying a lot about is kind of depends what the weather conditions are like you know in middle in Europe at the moment you know we're seeing some of the stages of Tour de France being super hot and 
when I looked up the weather for Algar in this area, it looks pretty miserable this week. <laughs> it's certainly not going to be hot if the forecast that I looked at was anything to go okay. by. It was sort of 19 to 20 degrees each day with rain most days, uh, rain showers. So if it is like that on the day, you'd think uh, they could go particularly fast. Obviously, you don't want uh, much rain on the bike, but if it's cool and the odd bit of drizzle, uh, it's going to be nice to keep the heart rate down and likewise going to mean a very quick swim conditions, uh, uh, run conditions. So interesting point is just looking at the website, John. Fernandino is a racing sardine. So he's <laughs> 193. Now, wait to come, come and go, but they're saying he's 75 kg. Mm. Now, I'm a, I'm a skinny runt. Mm. You know, like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 12 centimetres smaller than him. Yeah. And I weigh 4 kg more. Yeah. No, he's a, he's a lean, mean machine. He's a lean, mean machine. And the Sanders is, is shorter than I am and he weighs 73. So Lionel Sanders is only 2 kgs lighter than Fredino, but he's nearly 18 centimetres smaller. Crazy. It is interesting when you think of it. Now, one thing that they've got in rankings here, they've got the swim, bike, run rankings, and they're only giving a Fredino a four out of five for a swim. He's a great swimmer, isn't he? He's led the swim out and kind of always <laughs> been in the front. So I suppose a five out of five would be someone who's... But he's led the swim out of Kona. True, but these days, you, because it's hard to qualify for Kona, you don't get those ex Gun swimmers okay, who, who might be donkeys on the bike in the run. So I'd say he'd probably be a four and a half um, in the swim. He is. But you'd say in the sport he's a five out of five. Yep, I would. You know, like if you come out of the yep. water first, you you get a five. Yeah, that's a bit bizarre. They give they give Fredino a five and, and Sanders a four. A three in the swim. I'm oh, sorry, three. Sorry, that, three. that's a, that's that's generous. Yes. Yeah, so, not being nasty, that's generous. We'll talk a little bit more deeper about this because it was the discussion of the week, so we'll go a bit deeper into that when we get into the discussion of the week. Uh, any other adventure coming up? Uh, there is one that I'm not sure that we've mentioned before. It's the Tri Triverest in Switzerland. There's also on this weekend the Ultraman in the Pyrenees, which will be a tough one, the Wildman Off-Road, and the Ironborn in Eastbourne in the UK. Um, and we may have talked about this before, I've sometimes got a pretty short memory, but uh, this one in Switzerland, they basically do an Everest race. Uh, so oh, you do really? swim, obviously you're not gaining much elevation in the swim, but your bike, uh, well the total distance is 300 kilometres, the bike uh, is 260 kilometres, and... A crazy amount of climbing. You go over seven mountain passes, and then on the run, you run up uh, Pilatus, uh, which is this famous Swiss mountain. And then I think you get the cable car down. In a total, you're basically doing the equivalent of Everest. Um, the elevation change, so it's a lot of did, climbing. Did you see on the news? I didn't actually see. I think it was on like um, Seven Sharp last night. There's a guy in New Zealand who I think now I only saw the two second clip coming up, mm. who's doing an Everest thing, Everest run. Yeah, on Baldwin Street. Yeah, is it? but Baldwin Street's the steepest road, road in, the in the world. Yeah, it get got dethroned. No, no, it didn't. They, for, it, for a short period, and then it's been re, uh, they, then it got because it's basically uh, the road that took it. Was basically there's a bend in the road. Mm. Um, so it's a very steep road. So he's going up and down doing Everesting on that road. Mm-hmm. That would be tough on your calves. But where this race finishes at Pilatus is 8,848 metres in elevation gain over about 290 to 300 kilometres. And where they finish is this really cool sort of place on top of a mountain. It looks like something out of James Bond to me. Uh, So it looks awesome. You can do it as a team. You can do it as an individual. 
It's a long way. It's a long way. I saw the winner's time from last year or the year before was like 17 hours. Didn't look, it didn't up. look like there was that many people that did it. Shut Surprisingly. Up. John's IT update. Something more money, John. There is. So this is great in the current times when you when you hear about uh, more money being put in the sport. So for 2022, the ITU, not the ITU, World Triathlon has approved uh, increasing their bonus prize pool money from $750,000 to a million dollars, which is great. So they're re- really really try to push people to do their series and they're successful in doing that and there's a big bonus uh, a bit like what we see now with the with the pto um, if you get the highest ranked athlete then you can do pretty well out of this and uh, they've still got seven hundred fifty thousand available for this year even though it's a significantly reduced number of races in the series what um what, what when's the olympics how many days is it now uh, well, the, the next relay is on the 31st, and so the individual race must be on, uh, about five five days before that, so maybe the 26th, I think. So about the, three weeks. Yeah. Good stuff. Good exciting stuff. times, exciting times. Okay, uh, let's go into discussion in a week. So <clears throat> before we were talking about how Frodino and Sanders are going to be racing each other this weekend, so it's going to do, well, the question was, what are your predicted times for Jan Frodino and Lionel Sanders for the Zwift Tri-Battle Royale? John Weir... This is a crack up. He's gone. What are the details? Is it virtual? I'm betting it doesn't even happen. <laughs> John, <laughs> get with the times, mate. <laughs> Neil Hastings, anyone would think this was the second coming of Dave Scott and Mark Allen. Lionel Sanders doesn't even finish in the top 10 in Kona. Frodo wins. How are these even, two even rivals? A rivalry built on social media follows, followers. Welcome to 2021. He's right, but he's wrong. He's right, Sanders, but he's wrong. Because Sanders got second in Kona. And he's had some good Ironman races, yeah. uh, a, a couple. He's, but he's nowhere near in the league as Frodo at the full distance. So I think we all agree on that. Half Ironman, he's still not in the same league, but he's yeah. the be- one of the best of the rest. Yep, he is. Uh, Mick Simpson's got not sure of the time, but this to me, is like West Ham challenging Man City to a game. Yet West Ham are one of the best of the rest, but the difference in class is massive. Agreed. Joseph Mulhall says it's an exhibition match. Seven hours 51, for, uh, I assume he means that for Frodo, and 7.55 for Sanders. Uh, Andreas Wolf has got, I'm sure Jan will find a way to make it look like a battle. Do you think he will? Do you think he just wants to dominate him? Let's talk about that in a second. Yeah. Uh, Mika, uh, Mika Persolt, it is so ridiculous. Even if Lionel Sanders is a real game changer, it will be a cool cat and an angry mouse play. But the cat is a tiger, in fact. And the mouse will still be a mouse at the end. Good old Edwards Evans has got, uh, that would depend on the bus timetable for a certain someone to finish the run. <laughs> Uh, that's a bit nasty, uh, Edward Evans. Uh, that would. That's the one I just. Oh, did. you just did that one. Sorry. Yep, that, yep. That, oh, I had to put my comments up because no one was even putting times down. The question was, John what times they going to do? John got angry. I'll read John Newsom. As most of you not putting actual times predictions here, this is what I think. Assuming this is not really a hot day, and assuming they're actually pushing for a record time, Fredino swims forty-five, bikes fourteen, runs two thirty-five. Two minutes for transitions, 7.32. Maybe a couple of minutes quicker on the bike and the run. So best case would be 7.27. Sanders, let's assume he gets it right. Swim 50, 14, f- runs uh, f- 2.40. Transitions, so he's going to do a 7.42. So you reckon it's going to be about a 18-minute advantage? Some, something like that in that region. What, what's Maybe the prize? not quite that much. Sorry? What's the prize? No prize. What's the point? Well, they're not going to go hard. Well... Uh, that's the conundrum. I, I, who knows what the hell they're going to they, do? If they said, if you get under 7.30, you get a million bucks. Yeah. The, the only 
motivation is to set the fastest ever iron distance time, which isn't really going to be ratified. So I'm with you. I think... What's the motivation? I don't get it. Well, I think for Frodo, he needs a race at this time of the year. Traditionally, does rote or Ironman Germany. He's qualified. Uh, he's qualified. Doesn't need to do that. And plus... He just doesn't need to do it. So for him, it's a hard training day. Whether or not it's going to be a very hard maximum effort training day is what I'm intrigued about. Um, but I agree. What's the motivation to do it? To do that? So there's no incentive. It does not appear that way to me. The only incentive, for, the incentive is all with Lionel Sanders to see how close he can get. But, to but he doesn't have incentive now because he doesn't want to blow himself up. Because mm. if he blows himself up and doesn't get the cone, he looks like a rightful. Well, that's, I, his incentive is. He just wants to try to beat Fredino and try to figure out iron distance racing, which he's struggled to do of late. So I agree. That's, it's, a, it's a weird one, but uh, I'm intrigued to see how it goes. It'll be some good coverage for people to go and watch on Zwift. And you, apparently you can ride along on Zwift at the same time that they're racing. So they must have some sort of link up um, you can do at the same time. So okay, I'm got, intrigued to see what goes down. You've got tickets down. to go watch it. Well, probably because they don't want, in Germany, I'm not sure what the restrictions are like. They're probably a limited number of people they want actually going to the, to the venue to watch it. So it's probably a closed off area. I don't know. Like, and they're not cheap. So, for example. Well, there's probably perks you probably get to. Okay, so for 100 euro. Yep. You get. A um, lunch and a beer. The stadium Bergen uh, opens from 8.30 to 6pm. Uh, unique atmosphere, uh, close to the transitions. Uh, Try battle. Big LED screen, first class catering and food. There you go. There you go. It's yeah. right for 100 euros. I mean, let's be honest, we're, we're eating a lot. Um, mm. And then the, the, the VIPs are just be going to the buffet all day. I wonder, okay, okay, I'm kind of curious. Where's the money in this? Well, they'll be getting paid some money from Zwift, so there'll be some appearance oh, okay, fees and yep, things like that. Yep. So. And it will be big on Zwift, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So back to the actual question that we had here, what time are they going to go? Uh, so I put down, yeah, what did I put down? I put down a 45-minute swim, and when I actually have a look at, uh, this is for Fredino, when I look through his past swims, at Challenge Rote, he swam 45. Uh, in Austria, he swam a 46. Um, You're saying Leonard June. Sanders is going to do 50 for a swim. I'm saying 55. Okay, let's have a quick look at uh, Sanders. No, but he hasn't got a pack. Yes, I agree, but that that's sometimes an no. advantage. It is because you're not getting the shit beaten out of you. No, because time I was a shit swimmer. I always swam better than an Ironman. Yeah, but you're not Lionel Sanders. Let's have a look. <laughs> oh, come on. He swam 52 in Hawaii. That's yeah. That's decent. With a pack. Yeah, 50, 53. When he's done, where is the other Ironman? Ironman Arizona, 51. Uh, what are the other swims he's done? Ironman Zone is 53. I think he's getting a little bit better than that. I'm saying 55. Okay, I was trying to be nice to him. Hey. God, everyone's bagging poor old Lionel. I'm not bagging him, I'm being factual. I think without a pack, he's a 55-minute swimmer. Okay. But uh, he has got better recently, so prove me wrong, Lionel. And four, I've said 4.10 on the bike for both of them. I think they're fairly comparable. It just kind of depends whether Lionel Sanders tries to go nuts on the bike. And then a two. He has to, doesn't he? He has to, yeah. And then a 2.35 for Frodo on the run and a... 240 for Lionel with an asterisk probably next to it. What, what, uh, it well, he, he hasn't run very well lately, so I think that's probably a, a best-case scenario. So, yeah. Do you agree that it is just a, a social media rivalry? Well, I think it's – my thoughts are it's a training day for Frodo and Sanders, it's a dick-measuring day to see if he can actually beat him. <laughs> do they get the dicks out? Yeah, they, they do. <laughs> yeah, they yeah the, the press conference. <laughs> Like the last league, the fourth league of the triathlon. Yeah. Put your pants down, boys. So, 10 minutes, I've put down 
10 minutes. I had a question there which I can't ask. Yeah, that's why I'm moving on. <laughs> I'd say 10 minutes at best is the difference if they both go for it. Okay, here's my prediction. Mm. Jan will go 748, 746. Okay. And uh, Sanders will do 753. Mm. 757. Mm. I don't think they're going to go for it. I tend to agree with you. I think, I think they have good solid days, but mm. I, I, where's the motivation? Mm. You know, I don't think I don't think Fredino's that motivated by Sanders up his bum, and then I still think Sanders is motivated, mm. but I think Sanders also in the back of mind goes, "Shit, I can't but kill myself not too much." But we're not champion athletes, are we? And they've got a different mindset, and yet we often sit there watching races, and somebody's twenty minutes in front, and they're still just caning it and pushing themselves really hard. What's the point there? You're still going to get the same prize purse, um, so. Yeah. Champ, top athletes think slightly different, I do, but I do think the um, Sanders not been qualified changes a little bit. Yeah, and for Fro, someone like Frodo, you might be going, "I want to see how fast I really, really can go when I don't have all the distractions." Like if you're at Challenge Road or you're at Ironman Germany, the second lap of the bike, you're trying to pass Tom, Dick, and Harry. The course is not optimized to be insanely fast. You know, it's not a flat did, course where, at all. Where did you do the fast one? Was that the uh, uh, Challenge Road? And what that's was it? Seven thirty-five, I think it was. Jeez, that's impressive, isn't it? Uh, and that's it's it's it is a bit short, but it's it's a quite a tough bike course. Yeah. It's quite up and down, uh, and so they've got here. Right, this is a really really fast course. It looks like the weather's going to be great. How fast can we really go? So that may well be the way that um, Frodo's looking at it. Now watching it live coverage. Yep, it's going. It sounds like they're going all in on all the coverage. So check it out. All in on all the coverage. Okay, Jombo, let's look at this week's discussion. This week's discussion is, I'm just pulling it up here, uh, is what do you think would be the best criteria for Ironman to use for athletes, to accept athletes into the legacy program for the Ironman World Championships in Kona? So obviously we've had a bit of discussion there. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a better way to do the legacy program? Exactly. That's a really good, okay, good question. Okay, uh, Coach's Corner. Slash high five. Uh, slash high five. Okay, yes. so what are you talking about? We're talking about bunch riding, and I'm pretty sure I haven't done this. <laughs> if I have, you guys are going to get it slammed down your throat again. Because uh, we've. I think we have, but that's right, we ain't. Yeah, we've got, we got time. We've got time. Um, we, I've been doing a few bunch rides with some of our juniors lately, and, and there's some better adults in there. And when we have go to Epic Camps, it's a totally different story. You know, the athletes are usually pretty experienced, some very experienced. But across the board, this, the standard of group riding could be improved. And with triathletes? For triathletes. Yeah. Um, and why bother with this? It's firstly to keep some friends because it's pretty frustrating in a group when there's lots and lots of surging. When you're just out on a general group ride, you're trying to keep it together and there's surging all over the place. Whether or not you're the strongest or the weakest, it's frustrating. If you're the weakest, it's really frustrating because you're just going to have to work super hard to keep up. Uh, second, uh, you ride more efficiently. And thirdly, it's a hell of a lot safer when you've got a smooth riding group. I've got a fourth. Yes. With the advent of Swift and all those types of tools, people aren't riding back bunches so much. Mm-hmm. So the skill set around this is probably a bit lacking. Totally. So these are a couple of things that came up the other day when I was out riding with a group. Firstly, hand position. You need to keep your hands on your brake hoods, not on tops of your bars. That's going to be really obvious for some of you, but a lot of people have their hands on top of their bars uh, and not on their brake hoods. Second, do not ride on your aero bars in a group whenever you're in a pace line. That is just scary shit. So do not yeah. ride on your aero bars. I remember I did that when I didn't really know. I was riding behind Gordo. And he was not happy. Yeah, <laughs> so don't do it. Uh, and never ride no hands in a group. You see it happening in the Tour de France. Those guys ride their bikes all day long. If someone rides no hands in front of me in a group, I'm just going to 
lose my shit. Uh, so don't do it. If you need to do that. You haven't I, lost your shit in a while. Have you well, lost your shit? I've had a good rant, have I? <laughs> um, so if you need to take your hands off the handlebars to take a jacket off or something, just pull out from the group and go to the back. So that's point number one, hand position. Point number two, and this is by far the most important, smooth changeovers. Um, so when you're riding along two abreast, assuming you're ro- rotating in a clockwise or a counterclockwise direction, the change needs to be really smooth and rushed, and this normally doesn't happen. So if you're on the front, and you're on the one that you're the person that's sort of pulling over to the side and drop dropping back. You need to ease off the pressure very lightly, and you're not freewheeling. You're just easing off the pressure slightly, so the person next to you can then pull across, and then the whole chain sort of just slowly rotates back. And then the second most second point here is if you're the athlete on the front who's moving up to the front, uh, or no, sorry, moving across but staying on the front. You don't increase your effort, you just move across once the person who you're riding next to has pulled back and then you wait for the rider behind you to slowly move up. If you're that rider that's sitting in second wheel and you're moving to the front, this is absolutely critical. It's just a real slow, gradual process as the, let's say you're rotating in a counterclockwise, say you're in New Zealand, Australia or the UK, if you're operating in a counterclockwise direction, so you've got two on the front, and the person on the left is slowly dropping back, the person on the right is then pulling across to the left side, and slowly, not slowly, the person on the right is then slowly easing up. The key thing here is everything needs to be done pretty slowly. So if you're the person moving up to the front, you, you don't you very slightly increase your effort, but hardly increase your speed, and you'll naturally move up to the front. It's really, really frustrating when the person who's moving to the front puts in a big surge to get to the front, think they need to rush it, and that just sends a whole yeah. vibration down the line. So Especially it's all done back, nice and slowly. The slingshot at the back. Oh, it's horrible. So keep it nice and smooth. And communicate with other people. You don't need to yell at someone if they do it wrong, but give them a bit of feedback saying... Yeah, just just make those changes a little bit smoother here, whatever your name is. Uh, no, point number three, when you're riding a group, never ride three abreast. I do rant about that if anybody ever comes out riding. Never, ever, ever, ever ride three abreast. Uh, number four, avoid sudden movements. So try as hard as you can not to touch your brakes. And if you do have to touch them, it's just the tiniest touch, but try really, really hard never to touch your brakes when you're riding in a group. Uh, number five, if you're trying to close a gap, if a gap is opened up in front of you for whatever reason, say somebody on the front has surged to get up and there's a big gap in front of you, try to change, uh, to, to decrease that gap nice and slowly. Uh, different story when you're bike racing, you do it nice and quickly. Um, and final point, if you do want to change the speed of the group, say you're sitting in the air and it's a bit easy for you and it finally gets to your turn on the front, slowly ramp it up um, uh, just incrementally. So have a chat to the person next to you who you're riding with just saying, I'm going to slowly increase the pace and just slowly up the ante rather than going from, say, 30 kilometres an hour or 20 miles an hour to 35 kilometres an hour, just slowly ramp it up over the over a course of a couple of minutes. There you go. Yep. Well, you could just be a prick. Surge away. You could. So in your face. Yep. It's just, you just got to make them everything really smooth. The juniors, they don't know what the hell they're doing. They're all over the bloody oh, really? show. Uh, but it's all just work in progress. But I know from Epic Camps, we get really good riders come along and they're often really surgy on the front. So 
Hopefully nobody's feeling self-conscious right now. <laughs> okay, John, we've got an interview. It's brought to you by Profile Design. Talk about Profile Design, John. So they've got hydration, they've got wheels, they've got storage, they've got aero bars, they've got stems and handlebars. So uh, a lot of the front end of your bike and your wheels. So check it out, profile-design.com. And cool looking stuff too, isn't it? It is. We're talking from Mike, to Michael Baker from Custom Built uh custombikefit.com he's based over in Australia as you're going to hear we're just going to talk through some stuff around aero bar positioning different aerodynamics gains you can look for and how you can get yourself some free speed here we go here is Michael from what was the name of it custombikefit.com here it is right now Right, team, uh, we've got a bike fitting expert on today. His name's Michael Baker from Custom Bike Fit over in Australia. So welcome along to the show, Michael. Thank you, John. Um, before we sort of get started on a few sort of tech type questions, could you give us a bit of background about yourself, you know, in terms of uh, your path to becoming a bit of a bike fitting guru and, um, and yeah, a little bit about yourself. Okay. So I started Custom Bike Fit in 2012. Um, so I've been fitting, I'm into my 10th year now. I've probably, I don't know exactly how many fits I've done somewhere between three and 4,000. My triathlon, if you like career, I'm just an age grouper started in 1992. I did my first triathlon. I'm a 10 time Ironman finisher. I've, I've done like 50 or 60 half Ironman distance races. And really the business is about helping other people achieve their goals. I've, I've really done what I want to do in triathlon. I still do compete. But um, one of the things I love about what, what I do in my job is that everybody that comes into my studio or that I engage with over the uh, internet, I have something in common with mm. and I'm able to help them to get closer to where they want to be. Fantastic. Um, what was your most memorable? I know you, you said you enjoy helping others these days, but what, what were some of your most memorable performances or experiences? Uh, so I think, Ironman, my, my best Ironman time is 9.29. I did that in WA in 2007. That was memorable. And the, uh, some of the people that I was training with, Charlotte Paul at the time, she was the first uh, female across the line. She won the pro female race. That was that was great. Yeah. Um, and, and of late, just some of the local races. I really love going to Harvey Bay and doing the Harvey Bay 100. And I'm a minor sponsor there and out at Hell of the West in Gundawindi. Those types of things. Great. Awesome. Oh, um, by the time this comes out, it's going to be um, the Tour de France is actually going to be all wrapped up. Uh, so for people watching the tour, you know, it might be the only sort of bike racing they watch, uh, especially for, for triathletes. What we've kind of noticed over the last couple of years is, um, yeah, obviously the time trial setups are being a bit different in terms of uh, especially the front end around the handlebars and the aero bar stack and so on. So I thought it might be worthwhile having a chat to you about that and sort of yes. seeing how applicable it might be um, for, for us age groupers. So for, for those that, that don't watch the tour um, or don't watch any cycling, maybe explain a little bit about that, that evolution over, over the last few years from, you know, probably a fairly standard sort of triathlon fit that, that a lot of us are used to, to, to what we see um, over the last couple of years. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, I, I think before we get into the, the, the differences in the sort of uh, fit and how they've developed and, the, you know, the position and the setup, I think we need to put it into some context and, you know, you might have, for example, 200 riders in the tour, but realistically, there's there's probably only 30 guys 
that are riding hard in those individual time trials. So that's number one. Um, so you've got the GC favourites and then you've got your time trial specialists. Those guys are going hard in the race, uh, in the time trial itself. The rest of them, there, are, they're there to support their, whether it's their GC leader or whether they're there to support their sprinter. And so their hard work is the next day and the next day and the next day. And the time trial is almost a, um, it's a recovery day for them. Mm. And obviously for us triathletes, when we're going out and racing, we're trying to get the best out of ourselves each and every time we race. And we're spending a lot of time on the bike. Now, a lot of these guys that are racing in the tour, they are spending very little time on the time trial bike and in the time trial position outside of those 30 guys that are riding hard because they think they have a chance of winning it or they're trying to minimize the amount of time they're losing to their competition um, they're spending very little time on the bike. So comfort isn't a primary objective. And what you'll notice with those guys in the tour is that they're riding a frame which is quite small and there are some UCI regulations that they have to comply with, which we don't have in triathlon. And the major three being in the time trial space, that the tip of the saddle needs to be thirty, sorry, 50 mil behind the bottom bracket. The extensions can't extend more than 800 mil past the bottom bracket. And the extensions, the rise on the extensions can't be more than 100 mil from the top of the arm pad to the top of the extension. So they're really restricted in what they can do, okay? Mm -hmm. They want to be as low as possible, whether they're on the base bar or when they're in the time trial position. So you generally see a base bar that's very, very low mm -hmm. because they're not going to be spending an awful lot of time there. Mm -hmm. And then what, we'll, what they'll do is they'll put a lot of spaces underneath the arm pads to bring the stack up so that they can open up their hip angle. Now, if you imagine in a, in a time trial, so in a triathlon perspective, where we do spend a lot of time on the bike in training and you're riding in traffic or you're riding uphill, you're riding downhill, you need to have your hand on the base bar where your brake levers are. Mm -hmm. And if that base bar is too low, you're going to get neck and shoulder pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's the major, I think that's the major difference. Again, in the tour, you know, if you look at the Tour de France this year, there's two individual time trials. One's 27 kilometers long. The other one's 30 kilometers long. Mm -hmm. They're not on the bike for an awful lot of time. Half Ironman, 90K on the bike, you've then got to get off and run 21. And then an Ironman, 180K on the bike and get off and run a marathon. So you need to be comfortable. You can achieve the same position you know, through having a higher base bar and less of an arm pad stack as you do in, a, in, a, in that Tour de France. So in the Tour de France, lower base bar, higher stack. Triathlon, higher base bar and fewer spaces for the stack. Because, again, we spend a lot of time or more time on the base bar than those guys do in their time trials. Does that make sense? It does. So I guess in, in terms of, you, you mentioned a few things there about having the, the lower base bar. Um, so that's your, your handlebars. Um, you're going to be more, you know, you're going to be lower, so you're going to be more aerodynamic in that position. Um, in terms of the other aerodynamics around that, rather than just holding the bars, is there much difference in position when you've got that lower base bar and that, that, those really high stacks? Uh, no, you can, you can achieve the same position regardless. Mm. I think the, one of the major differences at the front with the, I think you'll see more in triathlon today and certainly what I'm fitting, more people are going for this high hand position. Yeah. And again, there's yeah. two ways of achieving that. So 
we talked about, or I, I mentioned that in the Tour de France or in the UCI regulations, the extensions, the tip of the extensions can't be more than 10 centimetres higher, <coughs> excuse me, than the arm pad <coughs> or the arm rest. Right. On my particular setup, they're almost twice that high. Mm. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get my hands up high <coughs> so that I can reduce my frontal surface area. What these guys are tending to do now because of those regulations is, yes, they want to have their hands up, but they're burying their face in their hands as well and getting their back angle down. Mm. Now, that's fine. In doing that, what they're also doing is they're closing off the hip angle. That's okay for a short period of time, but when you need to get off the bike and run, it's a very different scenario. So what we'll do here in a bike fit is try and make sure that the hip angle's open and that the hands are high as well, mm. if that makes sense. It does. So, so your position that you're talking about for yourself, which is, which is not used yeah. legal, is that more of the praying mantis um, position where your hands are very high, almost in front of your face? Um, we've seen the likes of maybe Joe Skipper, I think, has a, a similar sort of position to that and, and a few others in the last few years in triathlon. Is that, uh, so if people are trying to picture what you're looking like, it's that yes. sort of praying mantis position. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I see this, um, you know, I work predominantly with age groupers, but I work with a lot of the, the pro uh, triathletes as well, local pros, and they're all trying to achieve this sort of high hands position, or the majority are. So you can either get your head very low and reduce that frontal surface area, or you bring your hands up to your, to your head or hands up to your face. And that's a lot easier to do. But even still, there's two things. There's the bike fit, number one, and number two, how you manipulate your body. Mm. And that really comes with time and practice. And um, just for, for people that have maybe a more traditional um, setup where, you know, your forearms are, you know, relatively horizontal or, or slightly leaning up, um, mm. what are the things they need to think about uh, or any compromises in that change of angle, um, I guess, in terms of the, the load on your elbows or, or what are the things that inhibit some people being able to achieve that position? Then being able to bring their hands up. Correct, yeah. Yeah, look... In the, in the majority of instances, it's, it's an issue with the bike. Mm. I don't think it's an issue with the athletes. And I think when you get, certainly when I have athletes in for bike fits and I ask them to bring their hands up and maybe we change the extensions or whatever, it's a far more comfortable position to be in because as the hand comes up, it can relax. Mm -hmm. What you'll tend to find when the extensions are straight or very, just very slightly up is that people will grip onto them. Because they feel like they're moving forward, they're falling forward. And you almost need something that's to hold you in position. So that ski bend extension or high hand extension or high hand position actually locks you into place. It really helps if you can put the arm cup on an angle as well. Mm -hmm. Because then you're supported through the elbow and through part of the forearm and you can lock in there. And then your hands go off on a 10 or 15 degree tra trajectory and they're relaxed. As you grip onto the bars, and you can do this now if you people that are listening, just make a fist. Hold on to you. Imagine that you're holding hard onto your extensions. You can feel the tension through your arms, through the forearms, through the shoulders, through the neck. And then just release. Let the hand go and the tension goes. Now, if you've been gripping on to your extensions for two and a half hours, three hours, four hours, six hours, that tension that you create through your neck and shoulders, you're going to take that with you on the run. Mm. 
So you get off the bike and you'll often see people, they have that tension in the upper part of their body and it takes four, five, six, seven, eight kilometers for them to run that out. The looser you are, the more relaxed you are, the better. Mm. Um, I know this is going to be a really varied question because there's, there's so many different bike brands and so many different setups out there. But in terms of, you know, on average, uh, uh, most handlebar setups and base bar setups customizable enough that you're able to um, have aero bars that allow you to come up into that position? Or is it often a case you've got to purchase a new um, base bar and aero bar setup? Yeah. So um, I'd say it's about 50-50. There's a lot of bikes on the market that where you can't, so the problems, I guess, come when you've got an integrated front end. Mm. Okay? So where you, an integrated front end present, uh, presents challenges. Often then you have to go to aftermarket solutions. And what you're looking at there are things like high-hand extensions, um, deep groove arm cups, using wedges. So um, I do, I, I, I use, obviously, I, I use a lot of profile design stuff. I have a relationship with Sync Ergonomics. I have a relationship with Revolver in the UK. Um, so it's something you've really got to take into consideration before you buy a bike. And I do a lot of consults with people, whether it's in person or whether it's over video, as to what bike is going to work for them moving forward. And these are the sort of things that we talk about. Mm. The adjustability at the front end is really, really key. Mm. Uh, aero bars, they play a huge position, sorry, a huge um, have a, a huge amount of relevance in your comfort, in your aerodynamics, in being able to hold a position, in being able to travel with a bike. Now, this is something else that I talk to athletes about. How easy is it going to be to break that bike down and travel with it? Mm. And ha, you know, what's your what's your aversion to risk? What are you going to What are you going to do if you turn up to a race and and the bike, the front end of the bike's been damaged in transit? How easy is it to get replacement parts? So integrated front ends they do present a challenge um and people just need to be aware of what they're getting and and what the limitations are mm. um so i guess going back to the, the the tour de france sort of setups i think in, it sounds like in general um it's the you know that's not going to be the most comfortable position so probably and um i guess from a handling point of view when you're down on if you're down on the base bar it's i don't know you, your weight's probably going to be a lot more forward on it um and also with those really big stacks, does that affect the handling much? I mean, I suppose you're generally going straight lines, so it's, you, you, there's not a lot of handling. Um, but does yeah. it feel quite different when you when you're stacked up that high? Not really, no. Yeah. It's the difference really is when you put your hands down on the base bar. Mm. You know, whether that stack is high or whether it's not, I mean, it comes down to your bike handling skills. Mm. I think, again, looking at the Tour de France, if you watch, again, those guys, the majority of those guys aren't spending a lot of time in that time trial position. Yeah. It's not yeah. a bike that they will ride on a, on a, um, on a regular basis because it's, they're not there to do the time trial. Mm. They're there for other reasons. They've been employed to do another, for another job. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Now, I just, 
thought that was just a generally interesting topic because people often you know look at the pros and go hey they're doing that maybe i should uh consider integrating that in but there's, there's pros and cons mm. all over the place and and um for us triathletes are typically racing from you know one hour to to 17 hours it's a slightly different story um i was keen to pick your brain a bit as well just you know people always want the silver the silver bullet or the magic bullet in terms of things they can um they can do to to make themselves more aerodynamic or make their setup more aerodynamic purely for for um you know just around their general setup so um mm-hmm. I, I noticed when i was on your your website uh, the other day that i think you've, you've written a couple of sort of ebooks around this area as well so if people want to get more detail they can maybe go there but what are what are a few of the the sort of key things that, that people can can buy themselves you know pretty much free speed in terms of their their sort of general setup yeah. So look, the, your best bang for buck in the terms of aerodynamics is your bike fit. That's mm. number one. The majority of the drag is created by the rider, not by the bike. So people get, I think, in, you know, even in purchasing bike bikes, there's a lot of hysteria around having ha- cables that are hidden. I must have my brake cable hidden. Well, your brake cable doesn't create as much drag as, as your body does. So being in a position that's aerodynamic and that's sustainable, that you can hold for, you know, for the duration of your event, that's, that's number one. So best bang for buck is definitely a bike fit. That's number one. If you're on a road bike, um, aero bars. So mm-hmm. getting out of the road position and into a time trial position, that's going to deliver you a, um, you know, bang for buck. That's going to deliver you a, a lot of benefit. Um, once you have the aero bars and you've got your bike fit, well, a, a, a tight-fitting triathlon suit. Mm-hmm. So you have to wear something. Make sure you're wearing something that's tight-fitting, that's really snug, that's not flapping around in the wind. Um, after that, I'd be looking at an aero helmet. So I'm, we look at this in stages, and I often talk to you know beginners about this. Bike fit, number one, and your aero bars. Tri-suit, number two, you've got to wear something, so wear something that's tight-fitting. Then go to your aero helmet because that's another expense again. You might be paying two to four hundred dollars for an aero helmet, and last of all are the wheels. Mm. So you know that that would be my recommendation. What about in terms of your bike um, bottle set up around the, the front area um, on your hand yeah. on your, your aero bars? You know, so some people might go for the. The, just the sort of um, the the drink bottle, like a profile drink bottle with a with a straw out the top, or one that sort of sits down, mm. or you've got the ones that sort of sit in between the aero bars. Um, so I guess from a front end point of view, is there much yeah. difference between those? And then maybe once you've done that, looking at sort of behind the seat, you know, the best configuration around um, behind the seat. Yeah. So absolutely, at the front end, I, the first place I believe you should carry a bottle is between your aero bars. Um, that's where your hands are and it's where your mouth is so whether that's a standard horizontal just a a drink bottle standard drink bottle placed horizontally between the bars or whether it's a bottle with a straw you really should have a system at the front of the bike excuse me Um, the type of system that you use whether you have a standard bottle or whether you have something with a straw really depends upon the front end of the bike that you have so if you've got for example, I've got my uh, extensions on an angle. It's pointless me having a system with a straw, a bottle that sits between those bars with a straw because I can never fill it. <laughs> yeah. Once I've yeah. emptied it, I can never fill it again. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because it's on an angle, 
right? If that drink system is independent of those extensions, i.e. it clips into the front end of the bike, the stem, and you'll see that a number of bikes today have a built-in hydration system at the front of the bike, or you can go to a third-party product like the Profile Design HSF area front hydration system. They lock into the stem. Now it doesn't matter what angle I have my extensions on because that bottle is staying in, in a fixed position. Mm. Those bottles with fairings at the front, they actually do make the bike quicker. They, they, they save around five watts. Mm. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. Having, a, having some sort of drink system at the front of the bike, number one, and then I do like to go behind the seat. Mm. Um, so, you know, typically one bottle at the front, whether that's a standard drink bottle or whether it's a drink bottle with a straw that you're then going to refill, and then depending on the event that you're doing, either one or two bottles behind the saddle. I try to keep or try to avoid putting bottles on the frame unless they're aero bottles. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that would be my recommendation for the majority of majority of athletes. Very good. Um, look, I think we've covered most of my, my sort of topics. I was really just keen to get into the Tour de France side of things. So um, in terms of what you do in Australia for any sort of locals over your neck of the woods, um, just tell us a bit, a little bit about where, you, where you're based and if people want to get in touch with you, a plug or, and, and anything else you've got going on in terms of resources on your website that others can go and check out. Okay. So I'm based on the Sunshine Coast and, uh, obviously, a lot of my uh, clients, I guess within a three-hour radius, they'll drive to me. I also do um, I do travel, so I'll go to certain parts of Australia, usually regional Queensland or sometimes into New South Wales, and I'll do uh, I'll do fits in those areas. I also work with a lot of clients that are interstate and overseas via video, so I do a remote or virtual bike fit as well, and it's typically my services are. Uh, bike fits for people with existing bikes and then bike fits for pre-purchase. So you'll come in typically for a fit on an existing bike or get onto my jig and I'll make recommendations as to what bike's going to work for you or bikes that are going to work for you moving forward in terms of frame size, geometry, crank length, aero bar setup, all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, so I have some resources on my website, some uh, ebooks that you can download. I also have about 100 videos on YouTube, um, a lot of videos there for people that want to fit themselves. There's a lot of advice on there for, uh, for triathletes. So, yeah, um, my website is custombikefit.com and email address is setup at custombikefit.com. Awesome. What do you got on for the plan, the plan for the rest of, uh, obviously, Australian season's kind of wrapped up now. Ironman Cairns is out of the way. So anything yeah. big happening in your neck of the woods in the next couple of months? Or is it uh, sort of looking towards, I guess, the September races? Yeah, so we've got in, on the Sunshine Coast, I mean, we've got the Marathon Festival in August. Uh, Noosa Classics up here at the same time for, for the road cyclists. And then the 70.3 in September. That's probably the next big uh, uh, triathlon in the area. Awesome. Great, Michael. Thanks for your time. And uh, hopefully you guys got some good little tips out of that. And you can watch the next tour. It's going to be after the tour. It'll be the, uh, the Vuelta or I suppose the, the time trial champs at the Olympics. And you'll be a little bit more informed about what they're doing. So thanks for your time, Michael. Good on you, John. Thank you. Jumbo, your thoughts. 
you always want to be looking for free speed. Well, some, in some cases here, it's not necessarily free speed, but buying yourself speed or just changing your position so you are a hell of a lot more aerodynamic. Your positions have changed a lot over the years and you see all sorts of different fits and sizes, but I think Michael's points were really, really good, you know. It's all good and well having the most aerodynamic position, but it's how well you can Maintain run off the it. bike as well. Yeah. And those Tour de France positions, as you've heard, are, you know, for, for triathletes are probably not going to be that sustainable. So uh, with a lot of the stuff Michael talked about, um, it's you, you know you can buy some adjustments for your bike and, and you can do that through Profile Design. So that's profile-design.com. Uh, Michael mentioned you know changing your aero power position so your hands are up, up a lot more in front of your face. Um, so you can often go for the uh, Profile Design. I've got a 50. A um, aero bar and a 45 slash 25 A or carbon versions um, and with the thing with the profile stuff a lot of it is really interchangeable so it's going to work with most sort of setups and you've got little parts so you can add spaces and angles and so on so if you're looking to make some changes check it out and he also talked about all those different aero bar um, or bottle positions and profile design have got a ton of different options there whether or not you're going for the, the straight bottle, the bottle with the straw or you want something between your aero bars, the They've got uh, various different options, so check it out. Come a long way. I remember mm. I was doing. You get the, remember you got just the, the plastic bottle that had the little tubing, and you put the little and the little sort the of meshy um, stuff me- in there. Yeah, yeah, so and, it wouldn't spit on you, and you'd still get stuff split, yeah. splashing over you a little and bit. You, but it was good because it had an open top, so you could just quickly grab from the transition. Jeez, mm. mm. time's flying. Time's gone a long way, John. Boy, okay, let's do winner of the week. John, I'm going to say. I'm going to go high again. I'm going to say 66. Clickety click. 66. 66 is Adam, uh, sorry, uh, Alistair Rollins. 14 hours and 10 minutes of training. Nice balanced week. Did 12 activities. 3 hours 30 swimming. 6 hours 20 biking. 4 hours 19 of running. Just Scotland. Pip, just pipped out Tom Somerville. Tom was there in uh, the next place down. Uh, yeah, from Glasgow in Scotland. His primary good club photo, is the Lomond Swimming and Triathlon Club. Look at that flag of Scotland over the hill there. Mm. That's a great photo. Yeah. Oh, what it, it looks a lot like New Zealand, doesn't it? Does yeah. quite barren, beautiful but barren. Beautiful but barren. Uh, he's got a whole bunch. He's the so far this week. He got ninth overall on the Red Road to Ben Bui Path nine oh six. You know what? Okay, I'm going to give you a hard time here. I don't mean to pick on you, Alistair, but you're so close of all the key times. So I'm looking at his run. His five k's done well, sub twenty. Ten k forty one. Comparable. Half one thirty two. Mm-hmm. Full, 338. Mm-hmm. Now, he needs to get under 40, yeah. under 130, and under 330. There you go. There's your challenge. There's your challenge, mate, because obviously you're a pretty good runner. Now, with this five, you'd think, well, no, 41's probably about right based on his five, but if you could get to that next level, you know, you get all those little markers, there's your challenge for 2021. They are just estimates, estimates, so, because my estimated best effort for a marathon is 405. I think I can manage that. It doesn't give me an effort to it. It just says. Yeah, we're down the right-hand side. They're all estimates. So my estimates is estimating 118 for the, uh, is estimating a 2 minute 12 1K. Be pretty happy if I did that. What do you reckon you could do? Uh, for 1K? 2 minute 12? There's no way. It's not happening. No way. Uh, so I must have worn my watch on a bike at some stage when I was supposed to be running. Uh, Probably three minutes for 1K. if you mixed it. I think I'd struggle to get three minutes these days. I think I did three oh seven last time I really tried, and that was a few years ago now. Mm. And I was, I was, you know, 
<laughs> yeah. I'd be in that region, I think. Yeah. 310, maybe. Yeah. I was dying. Nice work, Alistair Rollins. You are our winner of the week. week. Okay, Jumbo, while we're here, let's go to our next part. Questions and answers. We've got number, we've got your swim set. We have. Today's swim was 300 warm-up, 2 by 100 IM. 100 metres kicking on your side, and then we kind of did a sort of a pyramid type thing. We went 100, 200, 300, 400, 500, 400, 300, 200, 100. And when you did the sort of the odd numbers, you're just swimming steady. And when you're doing the even numbers, so the 200, 400, 400, 200, you were doing them moderately hard. So it's a pretty crazy session. We're just general conditioning down here, trying not to lose our swimming arms. Most of the crew are sort of focusing on their bike or their run. So swimming is just kind of ticking over at the moment. So it was a, it was a tick over swim. They tick it over. School holidays, it was bugger all people there this morning. We had plenty of space. It was fantastic. It is funny school holidays at the gym. Mm. It's got quiet. Mm. You know, the, the morning mums aren't there. Ski season, lots of people away. Ski weeks and stuff like yeah. that. Oh, it is school holidays, isn't it? That's mm. good. That's mm. good. No, it's not. Kids need to be in school. No, Get back no, to school. No, I like it. We're a place in Tekapo. It's been a tough year for having <laughs> a place in Tekapo. Okay, uh, let's talk about our patrons, John. We've got uh, Angus the Wild Bull Boyd. We've got Luke the Engine Good- Goodwin. And Alan Ferris Ferret Hodgson. So, John, by one thing we are doing, we are actually changing the patronage system a little bit uh, and partly because well there's a few reasons one is that we don't know when we're going to Kona again yep it's not going to be this year B actually getting someone else to Kona was took pretty much half our profit away <laughs> yep. i to be really honest about it and this was about supporting the show so often the, the getting somebody else to Kona just took away a lot of the, what we were making from patronage mm-hmm. uh, and so we kind of wanted to find a new way where we could still give the benefit of being a patron and we know for a lot of people they just want to support the boys mm. which is really awesome but we do want to still have kind of like a prize at the end of it so we kind of thought that what we'll do is we'll kind of find a different system where there can be a real wicked gain for being a patron, still get your gift that you, yep. you get when you first become a patron, um, but then there's a different kind of prize draw moving forward. We'll still go to Kona eventually in the future, we just don't know when there is, hmm. obviously the times we're in right now. So John, what's the plan? So the plan is, um, it's actually if you're a patron and you want to be a patron, there's going to be quite a bit of stuff to, to win and it's actually going to be... Pretty awesome. So first up from Profile Design, we're going to have a set of wheels, we're going to have uh, one of their base bars, and we're going to have some hydration systems. That stuff is not cheap. Getting some wheels? Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. So so those prizes there probably add up to what to, to a Kona trip as it is. Uh, so there's going to be awesome stuff from Profile Design. Then I'm going to slowly announce um, some other sponsors we're going to have coming on board and some other prizes you can get. So the total prize pool is actually going to be significantly more than what one person would have got to go to Kona. So yeah. in that way, that's a big advantage. Um, the other thing that patronage, the key thing that does for us is it gets us to Kona every second year, yep. obviously a little bit different now. And you know, we're both really proud of the stuff we do in Kona because uh, we go out there and just work our tits off and yep. get loads off. of good content. That post-finish line stuff we get you guys is, I think, just awesome as soon as they finish. So so that's the plan. The Patreon program is still going to work to get us to Kona every second year. If you come on board as a patron, as you've even said, you get a gift. Plus, we're going to have lots of prizes that we're going to draw every year rather than every second year. Um, so that's sort of the gist of where we're heading. And it's, uh, yeah, hopefully next year you'd think we'll be in Kona. Fingers crossed. Ain't happening this year though. That's for sure. We'll be the next year. I don't know. I'm I'm hoping to be there in May, but I'm thinking it might be slightly wishful thinking. Um, But we'll. The problem is, it's like what's happening with Australia right now. Mm. Now, but by now, this time next year, John and I should be vaccinated. Mm. It just depends what travel looks like, vaccination wise. 
Totally. You know, you know, we might be. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But <coughs> yeah, travel is a really interesting thing moving forward, isn't it? Mm. You know, what's what's travel going to look like in this COVID world? But more importantly, uh, first of all, let's say a big thank you to all those people who are patrons. And if mm. you do want to become a patron, obviously you're going to go into the draw. You're going to get your gifts. But really, it's just about supporting the boys. And and, and the thing, one time, a long time ago, someone wrote to us and they said. You know, back in the day, I buy a Try magazine each mm. week. And, you know, to me, I don't do that nowadays. What you boys do kind of provides my Try magazine life. Mm. So, you know, I, I look at this kind of patronage as a way of supporting something, you know, content that I enjoy. So if you aren't a patron, you want to become a patron, go to www.iamtalk.me, go through the process. You go in the draw to win some cool prizes. Now, we'll be doing that. We will be doing that. What is it an annual thing or biennial? And it's going to be an annual thing. Okay. Um, some some of the prizes will sort of spread out through the year, and then the other stuff will do sort of Kona time. So it'll be like a Kona Kona draw. Okay, good stuff. So you're not in Kona, but you get some cool stuff. Okay, there you go. Uh, again, www.iamtalk.me. While you're there, you can also sign up to get the show emailed to you. Uh, if you want some coaching, coachjohnnewson.com. My podcast, bevanjamesisleshow.com. I got a really interesting question this week, uh, which I answer on it about getting frustrated with other people. Oh, yes. You know about that one? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Australia with children. Yeah. yeah. It, was, yeah. it was a bit like that, actually. Uh, so if, if, you want to, if you have these feelings, you may want to listen to that podcast. Other content such as Age Group of the Week, websites and other feedback, just email imtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of frustration of your kids, <laughs> what, kids. What, what happened? Oh, so I, I managed to do the classic that pretty much everybody has done who's got a It's roof actually a good trick to get a free bike, really, yeah, isn't it? Roof rack system where you put your bike on there. Thomas did a bike race on Saturday and Sunday. It was our sort of secondary school stuff. How'd he go? Well, he got f- in the TT, I think he got fifth, I think it was, around about fifth. Out of? Uh, I was probably 20 or something okay, like that. that's pretty good. And then the road race, um, <laughs> we, it was around a, a car racing track. And we, Rupuna. Rupuna. Yeah. And, they, and they kind of did a little bit of a warm up with sort of a neutralized area. And then the flag went down. We saw him go around this corner. It looked like he clipped out. And so then he had to bloody. Oh, shit. Attack back in, but he was complaining complaining about his cleats. And I said, Well, if you don't walk around your cleats quite so much uh, and wear them down. Have you told him that before, John? <laughs> uh, so that was number two. And then a little bit of an error on my part. I maybe didn't have his number sort of put on quite rightly. It had a sort of a timing chip on the frame. And apparently that slipped and almost went into his spokes. He was trying to adjust that. Uh. And then he got dropped from this sort of the second group of three. But to his credit, the rest of the race, the second group of three was about 30 or 40 metres in front of him. And they did not get away from him. Kept really, the, just fought. Yeah, for like 12, 13K, it just stayed the same. So he wrote, And those guys are similar abilities, so it's like three versus one. Yeah, yeah. And so he did very, very well. He was not a happy camper afterwards. <laughs> and uh, he was not happy. And then we decided to go somewhere on the way home and went to a, uh, we're going to go to a mall, which I never go, I almost never go to malls. Yeah. Forget about these things. And we're just about to drive up the, the ramp to go up to the, the parking area. Bang! Oh, Whoops, a daisy. We died. we didn't hit anything structurally. Didn't hit the concrete. We hit the the sort of that swing, the, barrier, the okay, heavy yeah. swinging arm, and that. So it was a lot worse, less worse than what it could be. It could have been, but it hit his uh, his brake lever, sort of. So your your STI sort of shifters, and it ruined my uh, roof bot, roof rack system, and yeah. So then none of us were happy campers. So whose fault was that? That Probably the driver really driver's yeah. responsibility, <laughs> but the other three in the car could have uh, con- oh, contributed course, to the yeah. contributed. Yeah. So that was not great. You can see why it happens, but can't all you? the time. And Belinda said, 
just imagine what the people in the car behind us were yeah. going. They're going, you're about to hit it. <laughs> Could have tooted, thank you. Did you have a car behind you? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's their fault. Yeah, it's their fault. So that was my excitement for the weekend. That is it. Oh, no. Watch the Euro. can realise why I don't really watch too much football. It's not the most exciting game. Tension filled, uh, but... I was. I really it. wanted the Poms to win because I just felt it's a good story. But then, but then I was at the gym, <laughs> and because I, I couldn't watch the game because I had a meeting before my class, and then I had my class, so I couldn't. I couldn't watch the game. Um, and when I went in to teach my class, the Poms were up one nil. So I, I think I went in to. T- I kind of had my meeting, had a couple of minutes. I saw the scores, halftime one nil. I thought, shit, they're, they're going to do it. Uh, the class finishes, and the guy pulls out his phone. He says, "Oh, the Italians have won." And I go, oh, I kind of want the Poms to go. And he goes, no, no, the bloody World Cup cricket final. And yeah. I was like, good point. So for those who don't know what we're talking about, the European Cup football. Oh, everyone on. knows, don't they? Well, in our part of the world they do because we get it slammed all over our news. Maybe. But if you're in America and stuff and you're into your gridiron and your baseball and triathlon, I probably didn't even make, make too much of a ripple maybe over there. No. What's happening for you, Bevan? We'd see that once last night. Once, yeah, it's a musical. Very good. Did you watch the movie? You did tell you watched We watched the movie afterwards. It wasn't as good as the musical. Oh, you think? No. Oh, yeah. Do you know the music? So the movie only cost one hundred and fifty thousand to make. Mm-hmm. They made. You can see it's a budget movie, but it's mm. you know made twenty million. The musical cost five million to make, and mm-hmm. it made its money back in the first six months, which was back in like two thousand and twelve. So mm. they're printing some money. Yeah, they that's are good, printing though. some cash, and yeah. it's not even including the soundtrack and all the stuff that goes alongside it. Uh, yeah, it was really good, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, it was a really good, really good show. Uh, if you haven't seen it. Check it out. Check out the movie. I do think the movie's pretty cool. Soundtrack's really great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just kind of chilled, cool music. Uh, what else, Jombo? What else? I've been running a lot more. Great. Got up to an hour five on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Whoop, whoop. Yep. Nice. I got, unfortunately, so my calf still doesn't really activate that much, so it's a bit of a funny run, and my, and my hamstring's a bit funny. But I went to the gym. I tried to do a body attack class. I've been doing a couple of body attack classes recently. Pretty low key, not like smashing mm-hmm. myself. And when the class had these sections where you had to sprint, mm-hmm. so you sprint like 20 meters and you kind of turn around, have a break, and then sprint, or sprint, do a tuck jump, and all the rest of it. Well, I, I can't sprint because mm-hmm. my foot collapses. Mm. So when you go onto your toes to take off, yeah. my right foot collapses. Yeah. yeah, it's quite funny. So, yeah, so do a bit of running. Mm. That's the All Blacks. Here's a question for you. Do you want the All Blacks to go have a bad season so Scott Robinson becomes the coach? <laughs> just, no, I don't think so. I do. Yeah. Uh, I okay, here's the story for those who don't know, for our overseas listeners. So the All Blacks are traditionally one of the greatest rugby teams of all time. Both successful winning record. Uh, South Africa now won more. Well, no, we've both won the same amount of World Cups as South Africa. Um, we have a coach called Ian Foster who was the assistant coach for a long time. He was assistant coach. No, he wasn't when, no, he wasn't under a winning World Cup. It wasn't the last, and, and what traditionally happens is the assistant becomes the next coach. Doesn't seem to have the spark. No. He doesn't seem to have the spark. And the All Blacks had a pretty terrible last year, last year. We, you, the All Blacks should win everything. That's, mm. that's our expectation, isn't it? Mm. The All Blacks, if we lose a game, it ain't good enough. No. You know, and even if it's like the greatest team of all time, it still ain't good enough. <laughs> and I actually, years ago, and I've probably talked about this on the show, I had dinner with Graham Henry, who used to be an All Black coach. And he says, he thinks the reason the All Blacks will always be the greatest team is because the pressure from the public is just so high. Mm. And so, um, Stu, Ian Foster, mm-hmm. and I kept calling him Stu Foster the other night, which shows mm. how much, he's, Last year they lost three games. Mm-hmm. 
No, the last two we drew one out of six. Mm. Not good enough for the All Blacks. Mm-hmm. And they lost to the Argies. Mm. And we'd never lost to the Argies. Embarrassing. It was embarrassing, John. I cried for a week, <laughs> you know. And so then the last last weekend they played Tonga. I bet my 100 points it was a pointless game. Last weekend they played Fiji. Fiji mm. showed us up a bit. Mm. Did you watch the game? No, I'm really not into rugby anymore. You know, I do love my league a bit more, but I wish mm. you blacks. And the Fijis, we won by, by a comfortable margin in the end, but it was the last 20 minutes we went away. The Fijians, mm. in the ruck, you know, Fijians, you don't expect us to beat us in the ruck. They was destroying us. So I'm thinking, and now, so then you've got Ian Foster, who's hasn't so really... blaming the coach. Well, mm. who, who do you blame? Well, it depends if it's, depends if it's a tactical error or the players just aren't... Uh, Picking themselves up for the game, and they need to be bad. Surely the coach has something to do with that. It does have something to do with it. Yeah. If you look at the state of Origin mm. last year, they, they were saying the Queensland team was going to be the worst team of all time. Mm. They won the they won the series. They had Wayne Bennett, one of the greatest coaches of all time. This year, mm. pretty similar team. Now, maybe New South Wales are phenomenal. Mm. They've had their pants pulled down. They have, yeah. you know, and by a coach, you know, Paul Green's maybe not a great coach. Yeah. Then you've got this guy called Scott Robinson. Now, Scott Robinson's the Canterbury coach. The guy is a winner. Mm. He, he basically took the under 21 team, won the World Cup, took the Canterbury provincial team, won 10 years in a row, didn't lose. He's come to the Super Rugby. He's won the last four in a row. They had the stupid Australian series, which doesn't count. But he's basically <laughs> won like five or six of those in a row. The guy is just a winner. Now, the argument is he hasn't gone overseas and coached other teams overseas. Mm. I want us to have a bad season. I want Scott in. If we lose to Australia in the first game, because that's that's you know even the story this week is is Ian Foster up to it. Yeah, you know if he loses against the Aussies, and the Aussies beat the French, and the French have been like the European team that everyone says is the, is the shit. Did they now. beat the French last week? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, it's impressive. So um, the Aussies beat the French. So I don't want the All Blacks to lose. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but if they lose and Roms gets the job, not too dissatisfied. <laughs> You know, because the key is we've got to win the World Cup. Rugby news. Oh, but the American listeners love it. Love it. <laughs> they do. Who do you think is the greatest coach of all time in any sport? Oh, far out. I've got absolutely no idea. Because you're just going to go for a bit. You, you go for an American sport, were you? Or no, not? I was thinking Bellamy for league. Right, Melbourne Storm. Mm-hmm. His team. His team. So the Melbourne Storm have won pretty much everything. A very successful team for a long time. Mm. Since 2011, they've only spent three weeks out of the top eight. Mm. That's yeah. phenomenal. They are pretty good. Yep. Anyway, John. Good you, times. You, any coaches for you? John Hellemans? Yeah, John Hellemans. Who's the greatest coach? Okay, who's the greatest triathlon coach of all time? Uh, well, the ones these days are pretty. Well, it depends if you go statistically or not. Sato? Like, uh, well, Sato would be you put him on the list and you do your analysis. But there's a few guys now that run a few of the, the ITU programs that, um, that have got some pretty. Joel Filial and. Is that the one we others. interviewed here? Uh, Who's the one that came out yes, to our house? Yes, I think it was. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a few of those that have got some groups, and you know, that um, at the moment that are doing very, very well. But they don't get the, I don't know, they don't get the same sort of exposure as maybe some of the Ironman coaches who who have got their own um, personal businesses as well. Yeah. Mm. Matt Dixon's the guy, but he's kind of even moved out of triathlon. He's gone performance coaching, isn't he? Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think he mm. touched with the big billion mm. dollar people in San Fran, mm. as you would. Yeah, you know, so. Okay, John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Endo. Train hard. Train smart. Kick hard.